Good morning. Good morning, River City. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It is so good to see everybody here today. As we not only worship, but as we celebrate Jesus on this special day. Um, many families have Passover traditions. We have Good Friday traditions. Um, but Sunday after Sunday, we do get to gather and worship together. And today is no different except the fact that we are setting aside time to honor the Lord as he rose on the third day. As he had died on the cross for our sins, we thank him for that gift, for his sacrifice. I welcome all our visitors today. It's so good to see you. Um, if I didn't say it, my name is Andrew Mika Knight. Here at River City, we connect with the global church each Sunday by reading from the lectionary. We typically read the psalm. This week is Psalm 118. Last week it was Psalm 118 as well, but it's different verses this time. And it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are, the, are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the Lord, the hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteousness shall enter through it. I thank you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the good gifts. May we always taste and see that you are good. May we trust in you, Lord. May we lay down and walk out of our safety nets, for you are a tower of strength. We thank you for all the visitors this Sunday. We pray, Father God, that there are no distractions in that. Instead, we focus on you, your holiness, that you are our Father and our provider. We pray for our sisters and brothers across the globe who are celebrating you today. We trust you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we praise you for the hope we have. And it is your resurrection and the invitation to your resurrection. That's not an invitation to complacency. It's not an invitation to comfort. It's an invitation to danger and adventure and radical living. And God, if this morning we are comforted by the resurrection and, and moved to complacency by the resurrection, we have missed the point of the resurrection. Today, let the knowledge of the resurrection change us and move us towards radical kingdom living. And Lord, we recognize this morning
that we are standing in the tension of the now and not yet. And we think about the tragedy at Sri Lanka and the 200 plus that in the last 24 hours have lost their lives. Many who were gathering for Easter resurrection celebration. We sing that song, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? And we speak that over our brothers and sisters and we choose to rejoice with their homecoming. But we lament and we mourn the tragedy and those left behind. And we hold in these two hands this idea of the living hope and in the other hand, the brokenness of the world. And as your people, we have been called to stand in that tension and prophesy. And so this morning, we're gonna create space to do that. So for the global church, and especially these areas, we intercede. And I want you guys to pray and intercede either inside your mind or verbally. What do you, how will God bring resurrection to this situation? God, will you move? Will you heal? Will you redeem? We do say that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Holy Spirit, move into that area in such a way that it would be clear that you have moved in. For any other tragedies and brokenness and evil in our world and in the global church, we speak peace, we speak healing. For our nation, for those in authority, that resurrection would come to them today. Will you raise up just leaders, godly leaders? Will you call us to lead well in our communities? We pray that you would be the God of this city where this church is and of every city that our people go home to. Wherever we play and work and live and learn, that we would be a light. And then finally, if you are in this space and in some way you need resurrection in some area of your life, if you'll just raise your hand. So God, will you do the thing that only you can do? In each and every situation, will you call what is dead to life and will you breathe on dry bones? We choose joy today, the joy of the hope we find in Christ. And our brothers and sisters in this room, will you comfort their hearts and bring peace 
and healing and resurrection to these situations. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Happy Easter, guys. Amen. Earlier I said he is risen to the group of pre-service, and I could tell who was like raised in church and who was what. And somebody was like, woo! I was like, they don't get it. So he is risen. They've learned from down there. They learned. Um, all right, so I'm going to jump right in. I'll be honest with you today. This message has not felt comfortable all week. I haven't got to the point where I felt like I got the thing, which I get to usually and start to feel overconfident. And then I burst my bubble by the time I leave here because it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Today, I don't even have that. So I don't know what you're getting, honestly. I feel discombobulated. I feel undone inside. I feel like as I've read the passages about Jesus' resurrection, I've read them too many times. We're at a spot right now in America, in the South, where we all know this too well. It's just too common for us. So Easter isn't something anymore that surprises us. We really come together to celebrate what God has done. And that's not bad, because he did it, right? He did it, right? But that's not the end, and that's not why we're here. So when I started thinking about this, this feels a lot like, and I always feel like this at Easter, like the scene in The Matrix when Neo is sitting across from Morpheus, and Morpheus has two pills, and he's like, you can choose to take this one or this one, but if you take this one, it's about to go a way you did not expect. It's about to be something that you can't even manage, and your brain right now can't even get it. You guys know this scene. Raise your hand if you've never seen The Matrix. That's amazing. That's one of my top three movies. <laughs> the idea is, let me, just, let me just break it down. The idea is that they're living in a false reality created by the future computers. Right now, this is not a good, you're like, I'm never watching that because that's terrible. It's really good. And Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, probably the world's greatest actor. Also seen in Point Break and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> right? So the idea is he's sitting across from Morpheus, who is the man in the movie, and Morpheus is from the other side that knows that this is a computer-generated world, and the reality is everybody's hooked up to computers and living in a dream, but they're just feeding the, the machines, right? Horrifying, right? So he's offered this pill to say, I'm about to show you something that it's really going to change everything. You're not going to be able to get back, even if you're like, this isn't worth it. And there's even a scene where a guy's like, put me back in, right? And there's no way back. When I think of Easter in these passages, that's, that's the scene that is always in my brain. Are we willing to really look at this? Because if we take the pill, the first person ever been in church right now is like, yeah, I'm out of here, dude. <laughs> I'm assuming that a lot of you have, have been to church before. If you haven't, forgive me. If we take this pill, everything changes, whether we like it or not. There's no going back, right? There's no, let's just remember how it was. That's what Easter's like to me. And it's familiar for us, but I know all across America right now, my other pet peeve about Easter is that, and I don't know that the first one was a pet peeve, but this one is, that many churches right now are promising these crowds of people all these things they're going to get, right? Because we live in a society where we get what we want. And if we don't get it, we take it, right? 
We even saw that in Genesis 3. That's how they started. They took what they didn't get, right? That was the start of how it all went wrong. And in a lot of our churches, and I've done this before, we're promising everyone all of these things that are just about you. And really, if we interact with this story rightly, we find ourselves standing in a tomb, having to wrestle with what just happened. And what does that mean? What does it mean that God is a God of Easter and resurrection? It means he dies. (laughs) That's not fun. He dies. And this isn't just a continuation. It wasn't like they got him, but guess what? I'm back. That was the plan. He was going to be taken, crucified, and killed, not so that he can continue once he gets through that little blip, but so that he can do it completely differently now. It's a new thing, right? Remember that? No. DC, DC Talk had this really good single way back in the day. It's called A New Thing. You should search the video and watch it today. God's doing a new thing. So today, I think the most dangerous thing, there's two really dangerous things today. There's one way to be dangerous in which we think that this is just a story that we gather around and talk about and we go back to our homes, we eat our meals, and we move on with our lives. That's dangerous. I don't know if it's more dangerous than what God actually wants to do with you if you get a hold of it. I'm trying to kind of wrestle with what's more dangerous for you. This is not meant to be a comforting story. And your life given to Christ does not end in comfort. It, it'll have joy for sure. But the kind that would take you to a cross, it'll have happy moments for sure. But the kind that has people chasing you and wanting to kill you as well. It cost him something and it cost us something. And so today, as we jump into this, we're going to talk about John chapter 20. But I want to give you a little recap of chapter 19, which is where Jesus dies. It's where he's taken. It's where he's killed. And for three days, they have been sitting and waiting and mourning because their promised dream of a future is over. So they're not thinking, I can't wait for resurrection. They don't have that framework. You guys understand that, right? They're not like, it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. No, they're not like that at all. They're like, Friday's terrible, Saturday's worse, Sunday's awful. That's their new framework. Everything is over. The promised Messiah was their friend, their best friend. They followed him for three years. He's gone. That's all gone. There's no getting him back. So they're all dealing with it, how disciples deal with it. I don't know what they're doing, but I know for me, when I'm dealing with loss, I get awkward and strange and alone and hard to be around. My tears go the opposite way. I become like a rock wall. I don't know what you do in loss. I don't, people do different stuff. Some people buy a Ferrari. Some people find a dating site. Some people create a dating site. Some people build something. Some people sleep for two weeks. I don't know what you do in deep loss, but we all have to face it. And these people are in it. The deepest loss they will ever face. The loss of Jesus. And to them, this was all he would be. He would come and be Messiah and he would probably do it by destroying their leaders. And that's why everybody's disappointed. And that's why he only has 12. And that's why everybody wants to kill him because he's not this David Messiah that comes to destroy empires through the whip and the chain And those aren't even things that he would use, but whatever. That's not him. 
but they're mourning this as if this was the best dream they have ever had, and now it's gone. So as we enter in the story, there's three main characters aside from Jesus and two angels and other people. There's John, there's Peter, and there's Mary Magdalene. These are three important characters in Jesus' life. Mary jumps off the page because we've been reading stories about her. She's the one who broke the expensive one year's worth of salary perfume called Nard, which needs to be renamed immediately, on his feet. Then there's John, who evidently is a three Enneagram because all he does is talk about how Jesus is the one who loves him most and he's the one writing. If you came to see Scott the Painter this week, he gave a great presentation about that. In his book, the, he calls himself the one that Jesus loves, right? That's in, who's, who in here is a three Enneagram, if you know what that is? Welcome to the party. We all think we're awesome. <laughs> and then there's Peter, who is literally right now in a baffling spot where he has just denied his Savior and having to deal with that. And now he's gone. So it's not even like he can be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. It's just he's gone, and in the last moments, his dream being destroyed, he also played a part in that happening in his mind. So they're mourning and not knowing what to do. And so as we get into this passage, that's the framework. It's quiet. When I think about this passage in my mind, it's eerie and quiet. It's dark all through the day. It's cold. It's nobody's talking to one another. Everybody's got their doors shut. They're like, I'm done. I'm done with this. We know a lot of people like this. They're done, especially with Jesus, right? And I'm not, I don't want to get to this yet here because I want to read this passage. I don't know how many people, and I weeped this week. It's the first time I've weeped as much as I've weeped when reading this passage. Because I don't know if I've ever been around so many people who are done with Jesus. Who are so, that know Jesus, that have known him. And Jesus has somehow died in their life. And they're dying inside. And they feel lost because they don't know what to do. Not knowing what to do when Jesus is gone. There's tons of people deconstructing all across the American Christian landscape. And maybe I just want to presume today that there's a Jesus that needed to die for some of us in this room. There's a Jesus that needed to be crucified so that the one that could speak our names could look at us in our death and darkness and whisper to us, I see you, I named you. But those people can't see that Jesus right now. And they can't hear it because the pain and the grief is real. There are people in this room grieving the loss of a Jesus they once loved, but don't even know if he's real anymore. My heart was breaking this week for those, because I know too many of them. I'm not angry at them, and sh neither should you be. They're asking real questions, and they want to know, why does this look different? Why does the church look so different than what I see about Jesus in Scripture? They're asking good questions, and they need answers. But it'll have to be Jesus that answers them. So if you'll open up to John 20, verses 1 through 18, I'm going to read this. I just have to say this about the offering. I always feel like I'm in third grade in a test when we read our offering prayers, and I feel like I fail every time. There was a word wrong in that one, and you fixed it, and I instantly was like, she's smarter than me. I would have been done right there. Did anybody else notice the word that was wrong in the offering prayer? And you did, and you, you did it. Live speed, you fixed it. Did we just clap? That was amazing. That's not easy. I, that's hard. So anyway, John 20, verses 1 through 18. Okay. 
Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. See what I'm saying? Three. And stop stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter went in, following him, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. These dudes don't know what's going on. One dude runs, the other one goes ahead, the other one goes in. And when he saw, he believed. John goes in and believes. The second one in. He's the first person that believes that Jesus is, is resurrected. But he doesn't do anything with it. Interesting. For as they go, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laid. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Ah, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for me to not go there. She didn't know. She's talking to Jesus and didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. When he said that, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is neat to me because in Genesis 3, which is almost like a parallel story here, a lot of things happen kind of opposite this, right? So their clothes, they realize they're naked. Let's put some clothes on. And here, there's clothes laying on the ground, right? There's a garden. There's a gardener, right? But I love that there's a woman blamed in Genesis 3, and then the first person who becomes a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is this woman, which is breaking the law. For there to be an accurate account in, at this time, there would need to be two men, which happened to be there and went home. But Jesus counts this as enough. So a woman is the first witness. Jesus is not afraid of this. We are. He is much less afraid of this than we are. We should feel comfortable with this. If you're a woman, you should feel like you got all that there is to get from Jesus. You should be liberated in that just by the fact that Scripture says it. So let's pray. 
Father, I pray that every person in each seat in this church becomes undone by the time they leave. They become less convinced that they know exactly what you'll do and when you'll do it and how you're going to do it. They become so dependent that you undo all of their certainties and thrust them into faith upon a Jesus that has to be followed daily because you surprise even still. You surprised in the beginning by creating something out of nothing. You surprised in the garden. You surprised all throughout Scripture telling us that you are a God on your toes and we have to follow you. And anytime we think you have, we have you pegged, we don't. And you're still trying to surprise us today. Forgive us for knowing too much. Forgive us for pigeonholing you and calling you a God of the past that has done great things and forgotten that you are a God who involves us in doing great things. We are the resurrected people of Jesus Christ who stand in tombs and say to people their true name so that they can name the death they have to come through to jump into the new life of Jesus Christ. And familiar places where we mistake Jesus for a gardener. Help us to be a people that hear this message and are sent to tombs all over the city saying to people, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to, I'm going to dabble because I don't have a ton of time in a couple things. One, when people respond to the empty tomb, it's baffling to me. There's two guys here. Mary first runs and tells who is the leadership still, which says a lot about Peter because he's literally the one that just denied Jesus, but he's still seen as leader, which is interesting. It says a lot about his leadership that he would still hold that. There might have been some mourning or some I'm sorry he's talked about, maybe. But she goes to them and tells them, they took my Jesus, and that's enough for them to start running, right? And when I think about this, I think about when I read this passage, and this is a picture that I stole from Scott the Painter because it's, he's literally presenting this picture to us last Tuesday, and it's the passage I'm preaching and I was like, I don't care. I'm just doing it. I'm just doing it. You're going to have to deal with it. But when I think about it, this is the two dudes running. You feel like they're younger than this, but they're, that's them, right? And that's probably still like sprightly at a young age for that, that time. They're probably like, those young boys are strapping young boys. But when I think about this, they hear, they have taken, it's not Jesus is risen. They have taken, and that's enough, right? Because there's probably some like, who's, who's taken? Who's taken? Who's taking him? Let's. And they start running, and I, I picture automatically, like, our sons, Noah and Noah and Graham, like, like you're up to bat and running to the plate. Like, who's going to get there first? These two guys trying to get there. One gets there, stops, he wins. The other one goes in. The other one, he doesn't believe. The other one goes in, believes. They go home, right? People respond to the empty tomb very differently. Mary, on the other hand, Mary is broken. She's grieving. She's lost the most important thing ever. And remember who she is. She's the one whom seven evil spirits were taken out of by Jesus and told you have a place. Do you know anyone like that? Do we let those people in our churches? Seven evil spirits. So she has that. Not only is she a woman who's standing for Jesus, she's the woman who had seven evil spirits who is unclean and unfit. So when she's breaking 
that perfume at Jesus' feet, it's worth it. Every bit of it. Her love for him is huge. And her love is now overcome by the fact that we got to bury him right. We got to put him in the ground right. She's not there to see if he's risen. Did you note that? She's not focused on, is he coming back? Because nobody believed that was going to happen, even though he said it multiple times. She shows up. Now, this is a picture. This looks nothing like they would look. I am certain. A hundred percent, this is nothing like they would look. But I actually, I painted this last night, and I was like, <laughs> I felt like for what I had in my mind, it was enough. You guys get, you guys get what I'm saying? She's so overcome by the grief of something that she loved so much, she had to make sure it ended rightly. She's not even there to make sure he's, oh, it has to end right. This is too important for me. This has, there has to be an ending. So grieved that she has a conversation with two angels in white and doesn't know it. And I understand, you can tell me all you want. She has tears in her eyes. I've had tears in my eyes before. And if I'm speaking to a couple of angels, I don't care. It's not the tears that's blurring it, right? Like there's commentaries that are like, the tears blurred her eyes. I was shut up. <laughs> the tears did not blur her eyes. Because then Jesus is standing beside, behind her. She's so grieving the loss of Jesus that Jesus is standing behind her and says to her, what do you, and she turns around and she talks to him and she's like, tell me where Jesus is. I want to go find him and I'm going to bury him. She doesn't know she's talking to Jesus because they have taken him away. They have taken Jesus away. She couldn't imagine a future with Christ in it. She could only imagine the best case scenario now that he's dead. I'm not going to cry. There are people in this room who believe they have taken Jesus away from you. How many people do you know they have taken Jesus away from me? The church they were raised in, the dad they had, the lack of understanding theologically on how to love someone before you make them believe something, whipping someone into shape for Jesus, labeling their sin behavior before they know who they are, before they hear their name. We all have a they who have taken Jesus from us, right? Like, I don't know why I keep doing this. They didn't take Jesus away from her. This is the biggest part about it. They did not take, and there's a good case to be made that they could have because they killed him. They didn't take Jesus away from her. They didn't take Jesus away from you. Please hear me say this. Some of you will never come back to this church again. They did not take Jesus away from you. There was a version of him that needed to die, so the one that you need is before you. There was a part that needed to die, and you've been mourning him, and that's good. Mourn him. But the one whom you need is still there right next to you, even saying your name. You've probably been talking to him and not even knowing it. It's a gardener. That's just the gardener. He can be so common at times that we forget how uncommon he is. He can come in the voice of a loved one or a friend, or when you're doubting someone who will just listen, he can come in the words of a song. 
He sometimes comes to me through the songs of bands that he should not come through. I've heard Jesus in Beastie Boy lyrics. I've heard Jesus in lyrics of songs that he should not be in. He comes to you so common at times you forget and you don't know because you still think Jesus is this man that died. He's alive. He's so alive that he can be mistaken. He's so alive he's already been having conversations with you. He's so alive that you've been telling people that he doesn't exist and he's still with you. And here's here's the trick for us who are in evangelistic, Pentecostal-ish, or loud, worshipy churches, however you want to do it. Mary didn't need to see two angels. She didn't need to see a miracle. Those are good things, right? Don't hear me say, he doesn't believe in miracles or angels. I didn't say that. I'm saying some people are so far past, they have to hear Jesus speak to them. It has to be more than just the shenanigans of what happens in a worship environment. And after the story, she doesn't even focus on the angels, does she? Jesus spoke to me and I came to life. And if our angels and miracles don't lead people to a Jesus who is ready to speak life into them, stop it. Jesus is the center of it all. And he will use miracles for sure. I heard about a miracle this morning. Marilyn, thank you. If you want to hear about a miracle in the next couple hours, go talk to Marilyn. She said she didn't really believe in them, but she had a miracle this weekend. So amen. Amen. So for the people in our lives, or even us, who really feel that they have taken Jesus away, they're not that strong. They're not that capable. They can't, but they can take away a version that needed to die so that the real one can be with you. That makes me want to scream and shout. So in Jesus' name, I pray that a phone would go off right now. Did it happen? Amen. God is good. Amen. All right, I don't know where I am now, so I'm just going to read. John 10, 27 through 31. Let's read this real quick. This will be cool. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is what happened when he spoke to her. Not just a continuation, but new. And then the most baffling thing happens. This is the part for me that I wrestled with the most. While the other undid me, the part that I wrestled with was, why, why is Jesus coming back to life talking to her, then she realizes who it is, and then his first words to her are, what, is, what does she say? What does he say? Don't touch me. I've only said that in strange scenarios, and it's never with a person I'm in love with. Don't touch me. Don't you touch me. That's not how he says it. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Because we are an Easter people, and we love to get, gather around reunions of what Jesus has done, and he is saying to her in the best way possible, You want to sit in this space to love a Jesus that you've known, and this new one looks different. It's not time to settle in and remember. It's time to anticipate a future with God in it. I'm ascending to the Father, right? To your Father, to my Father. This is for all now. It's not just for me and him. I'm ascending, and I want you to go and tell. Don't just sit on a Sunday pew or whatever these are, and celebrate what Jesus did and miss what Sarah said. If resurrection hasn't taken root in you, it's not really resurrection. 
I had this thing happen two weeks ago that to me is how I, this is how I relate to God. I do imaginative prayer, and for some people, they're like, imagine what? And I'm like, imaginative prayer. And imaginative prayer for me is simply this. I pray through things in my mind. If I want to see somebody come to know Jesus, I do a thing like, I have Jordan, pretend like Jordan needs to come to know Jesus. I just imagine Jordan having just a great interaction with Jesus, and they're like hanging out, and Jordan, I see Jesus love Jordan so well that he comes to know. Like, this is imaginative prayer. But I also do it in other ways. When I'm struggling, I find a place in my mind that I've loved. There's a place in the woods I used to go to that I feel the peace of Jesus there, so I go there. This is not anymore. I just go to that place, and I have my conversation with Jesus. I'm struggling. I feel like I want to compare myself to other pastors because they're all definitely better than me. This is, this is actually my brain. And then I'm like, no, I'm probably better than them. And then he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, and I go there and I'm like, God, this is what's happening. And he usually walks me through some kind of self-realization with him ending up being the reason. So this past two, two weeks ago, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And in prayer, I felt like Jesus asked me to go inside the tomb. I've never done this before. And I was like, ah, okay. So I imaginatively thought what the tomb would look like, and I went in the tomb. <laughs> I still don't even know this was going. This could be good. I went in the tomb, and I, I feel like I, I sensed that Jesus was saying, you need to sit in the tomb. And I was like, dude, this is where you died. He's like, yeah, I want you to sit in there. So I go in the tomb, and I'm sitting there. And that person I was praying with was like, anything else happen? And I was like, I was like, I make a lot of things happen in my mind. So, and she was like, shut up and just keep going. I was like, okay. She was like, yeah. So I was like, Jesus is over there. This is going to be really, she's over there playing acoustic guitar. The cheesiest tomb vision ever. And I feel like what God was saying, and he showed it to me, you have to be in the tomb to name what's happening. And he just knew for me, music is my, my stuff. Anything. I love music. I love acoustic guitar. I love acoustic worship. I, I love just doing that. My best childhood memories as a Christian are going to a camp and having a guy that didn't really know how to play guitar sing a song, and we all sang. Those are my best, most favorite memories. Just simple, Jesus-loving kind of. You remember those times if you raised in church? You just there was no building. It was just like dirty woods. And he showed me Jesus playing acoustic guitar. I don't know what he was playing. It was probably Van Morrison or something like that. Or. But I feel like he was saying, you have to be able to sit in what needs to die for there to be beauty because he's leading you out. This is what I feel like he was saying for you, and I want you to close your eyes. Every person in here, close your eyes. I want you to imagine, and this is hard for some of you, and if it is, you don't have to do this. I want you to imagine you walk into the tomb. Picture it in your mind however you might. And don't over-spiritualize it. If it's somebody that this is a really like a, just do that in your mind. I want you to go in and I want you to sit. I want you to smell the smells in that tomb. This is the tomb that Jesus died in. I want you to look around. See the clothes. They're folded neatly. Feel the way the ground feels. Hear the sounds that are or aren't there. And I want you to, you just heard something, slowly raise your head and turn around. You look back at the opening to the tomb and Jesus is there. He looks at you and he says your name.
can't make my words that he spoke to me, the words he speaks to you, but I do know that each person wrestles with the empty tomb and resurrection differently. Some run back home, some weep at the opening, but all of us need to hear our name. From the one who named us, from the one who created us, and knew us before the world was made. From the one that, yes, does know the amount of hair on your head and who you will be around and what he put inside of you and your strengths and your weaknesses and your brokenest broken places of brokenness. He knows those things. What is he saying to you that has to die? What must die so that you can see resurrection? You have to hear him say this, though. This is not the end. If Jesus did anything, it was to say to death, it's not over. You can open your eyes. I'm going to close like this. If you are still upset at they, let them go. They didn't do it. They probably did it, but they didn't do it. Jesus is still there. Can you pull up this quote really quick? You can fast forward through the long one and go straight to the C.S. Lewis one. I know you've all seen this movie, but Aslan is a lion. This is a conversation happening. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought it was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. Good. The king, I tell you. Jesus is inviting you into a world where he is resurrected, where you stand at people's doorsteps and sit in passenger seats and across hospital beds and with people who are mourning and people who believe Jesus is no longer real and speak into tombs people's names. If we are a Jesus people, that's our job. And you can pull up the other quote now. I'll end with this. You can stand discombobulated. Scholars often remind us that the resurrection narrates, narratives are really commissioning stories, sending believers into a world to tell that death is not the last word. Otherwise, no one would ever know what happened, and Easter would just be a reunion story with tears and hugs all around. However, in worship, you can go ahead and come up, whoever's closing out. However, Mary obeys the risen Jesus fighting her impulse to cling to a familiar body and celebrate in a service on Sunday, leaves the garden to go, tells other, to go tell others what she knows to be true. An expected ending is now a beginning of telling the truth about life to those who want to only deal in death, of offering living water and the bread of life to those who want only to buy and sell commodities that perish. Mary speaks, and in her speaking, we find our own voice. If you'll close your eyes. Jesus, bring us out of the tombs, but let us name what's dying. Can we all just say thank you to Jesus together? Thank you, Jesus. And as we say thank you, God, bring to our minds the people who are in tombs all across our lives. Who is in a tomb right now? Who is weeping outside one? And if you're in this room entombed by what you feel is the end, 
Jesus is saying it's not the end. Prayer teams, go ahead and come up. And if you do want to receive Jesus as this new life, we would love to pray with you. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.